everyone. My name is Akshita. And my name is Kushi. Welcome to our podcast called Talkspace, where we'll be discussing issues that affect our main target audience, teenagers. Basically, matters that matter. We release an episode every other Sunday on all podcast streaming services. We're very excited to announce today's guest in the Talkspace podcast, Mr. Vivek Bhargava. He is a digital marketing veteran who was the CEO of the Dan Performance Group, where he headed and was responsible for all the digital performance agencies of the Denzu Aegis Media. He is also the co-founder of Profit Wheel, an organization with an outcomes-based model that ensures it delivers profitable revenues for you without encouraging you to spend more. Prior to this, Mr. Vivek was the CEO at iProspect India, a company that accelerates the possibilities created when performance and brand building intersect. Mr. Vivek has also donned the role of an investor in the reality television show The Vault, which funds innovative startups by promising entrepreneurs on the merit of their business idea instantly. And adding on to all of his innumerable accomplishments, he's also a TEDx speaker and has been named one of the top 50 digital icons of India. Mr. Bhargava is here to talk about the digital revolution in India and give us a slight peek of the entire spectrum of result-oriented digital marketing strategies. So to start off, Mr. Vivek, would you be willing to briefly talk about your professional journey so far and what exactly that involved since you have experience in innumerable fields? Over to you. Thanks, Ushi. Thanks, Akshita, for having me on the show. It is a pleasure to be here. So I'll tell you my journey of digital marketing, right? So I think... um, the seed of entrepreneurship was sown in my mind by my father when I was 10 years old. So I was having dinner with him. Uh, and he said that, do you know that the difference between getting a job and becoming an entrepreneur? You know, I was 10 years old, right? I was wondering whether in the morning when I go and play cricket in the building, will I get batting or not? That's the only thought I had in my mind. And he was asking me these philosophical questions. He told me that when you do a job, you got to learn. You know, so, you, so what you to do is you to spend less than what you earn. If you want to be successful and as an entrepreneur, you can spend a crore rupees a day, but then you just make sure that you earn more than that. So there's no cap on spending. And I was 10 years old. I was thinking, I want to be an entrepreneur. So late 1997, uh, I was traveling to us and I found that the America or especially North America was really, really using digital and internet for making the marketing communication more effective. And I felt Indian companies didn't know advertising and marketing well and using technology for marketing was even a bigger lacuna area so i set up a company called communicate to way back in 1997 probably before you guys were even born and uh, it was quite uh, naive of me to set that up because people did not have internet in the country so doing digital marketing was completely out of the question but it's been a fascinating journey 14 years uh, we had a chance to launch the mtv's website in india won the first two abby gold awards built up one of the largest search and performance agencies in the country, sold it to Densu in 2012. But even that period was that, you know, I was called a genius and then the financial bust happened. I was called a moron. The dot-com bust happened. I was called a moron. Then again, I was called a genius. So in 2012, when they called me a genius, I sold my company. I said in the future, if they call me a moron, at least I'll be a rich moron. But, uh, but I've also realized that once you make a little bit of money, lesser people call you morons anymore. So, so that has been sort of my story. But last eight years, from 2012 to 2020, I was the head of performance group for Densu, managing three, four of the agencies, dovetailing to about 1,600 plus people. And uh, August 2020 is when I started a new company called Profit Wheel. With two co-founders, Kautam Mehra and Aman Khanna, we've just raised $3 million as of like last week. 
and uh, now we're planning to build one of the largest ad tech martech companies in the world because my co-founder is based out of Boston. And uh, again, COVID has taught us that one can build a globally scaled enterprise company sitting out of your bedroom. So this is what the attempt is. So that's what we plan to do. I think I completely agree with you. And as you said, like COVID-19, like it proved to us that we can do almost everything digitally. And ever since COVID-19, even small businesses have depended a lot on social media and media in general to like accelerate their growth. So what do you think about the progress of these platforms? Like, is it really beneficial to be like so digital? So I'll tell you what my thoughts are, right? If you take today, it's no, no longer about digital marketing. Digital is the age we're living in. So almost every single facet of an organization, right? From customer acquisition to brand building, to understanding what consumer trends are there, from, from the point of view of training our team members, from retaining them, from acquiring them. So what is happening is digital is playing a role of a catalyst or a multiplier across every single facet of an enterprise. So it's no longer about digital marketing per se, right? So now what happens is that once you realize that we're living in a digital age, you realize that every single thing that organization do, you will have to use digital as a catalyst. You know, 20 years ago, when there used to be an ad for hiring someone, right? They would actually write out their computer knowledge would be preferred, <clears throat> right? Nowadays, even my office pune, if I want to order coffee from him, I send him a WhatsApp. So if he doesn't understand WhatsApp or uses the internet, he can't even work as a pune in the company, right? So the way I look at it is that I think every single SME, every single organization, every single teenager has to realize that internet is going to be all pervasive. Technologies like AI and exponential are going to be all pervasive every single aspect of your life is going to be digital. So I think it's no longer an option uh, of trying to understand digital, right? We don't say that this device is electrical, right? We assume that it runs on electricity, right? The same way, everything in the future, it is going to be run on, on AI, on exponential technologies, on, on internet. So understanding it, using it for ourselves, our lives, our organizations is going to be inevitable. So the way I look at it is that you have to learn these things. If you don't learn this, you will not be able to even get a Pune's job or a receptionist job tomorrow if you don't understand these technologies well. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And technology is our future. What are some strategies you think are beneficial when it comes to brand building? And how do brands trick you into their business with the help of social media and advertising? See, I think the way I look at it is right that today, if you ask me, uh, you need to have an overall bird's eye view strategy of how do you build a brand, right? I think the biggest change that has happened is the distribution age has changed. So if you take 30 years ago, 40 years ago, a Unilever or a PNG would actually have a master distributor, dealer, distributor, retailer, stockist, etc. And if something was produced and sold by Unilever for 50 rupees, be sold to the end user for 100 rupees. So 50 rupees would be taken by this distribution system. The challenge was that if I was buying Chavan Prash every month for the last 20 years, I've been paying 50% to this distribution network for 20 years. Now, what is happening in the new distribution age is, is going direct to consumer. When it's going to direct to consumer, that means what happens is that if I'm selling something for 100 rupees to the consumer, that 100 rupees is coming to me as a company. Next month, I don't have an acquisition cost. 
So because of this whole distribution change, digital marketing has become very critical and it's very important. So the way I look at digital marketing is right, that even if you have to acquire a customer for 100 rupees and your cost of acquiring him is 200 rupees, it actually can be worth it because next month when he buys it, you don't have to pay the distribution network 50%. Next month when he buys it, again, you don't have to pay anything. So over a 20 year period, imagine the amount of money a Dabur could have made from German Prash if they acquired me directly and had a direct one-to-one relationship with me. So, so many times what happens is people look at digital marketing, oh, you know what, I'm acquiring this customer 100 rupees, but it's costing me a lot more than 100 rupees to acquire him. But the thing is, it's better to pay that additional cost one time than to pay that cost every month for the next 20 years, right? So I think that's the uh, overall view one should have about acquiring customers in the digital age and the direct-to-consumer economy. Now, we looked at it, right? The way I look at it, it bird's eye view, there is one critical thing on brand building and one critical thing on digital acquisitions is actually content creation. So a lot of times people realize that, you know, when you spend money on conventional media, what happens is you give a print ad or a TV ad, you spend 98% of the budget on Times of India or Star TV. 2% is spent on creative. Right? When you do something on digital, content creation becomes very important. So there's content creation, there's analytics, there is the entire story that you've created. And that actually can cost as much as 30 rupees out of the 100 rupees that you want to spend. But if you spend that 30 rupees, that the 70 rupees will work harder for you. And if 100 rupees would give you 100 clicks, this 70 rupees now would give you 140 clicks. So because of that, it pays for itself. So the way I, one recommendation I would have for smaller brands specifically, and even larger brands is invest in content creation. What you're doing right now, both of you guys is content creation, right? So let's put it this way. If some brand wants to reach a TG or Gen Z, if they actually take ownership of this podcast. Then what happens is they can spend 20 rupees to pay you guys to create this podcast, but 80 rupees in promoting it. So you get promotion, so you are happy and they will get more traction from Gen Z because the Gen Z would like to listen to this podcast, right? Now what happens is if you create content, it benefits you in three pillars of digital marketing. Digital marketing is divided into mainly three areas, right? There is paid, there is organic, and there is social. Paid cost goes down if you have good content. All of your organic traffic comes because you have content. All of engagements on social happens because you have content. So if you get a content strategy right, you can get your digital strategy right. So one of the recommendations I would have for all brands and all the people listening to this podcast is define your TG you want to reach out to and then sort of sponsor content and create content and then use your advertising dollars to promote that content. And there are a lot of individuals such as you two who would love to create content for large brands and they would love to promote it. So both of you benefit in the process. I think that's so true. And also content creation is really spreading everywhere now, right? From like teenagers to adults and even like senior citizens for that matter. Everybody is always watching content, whether it's on WhatsApp or Instagram, YouTube, like literally everywhere. And having said that, technology is evolving day by day. And as we already said, since the pandemic, we know everything can be done virtually. So how do you think one can prosper in the digital age? Not only as a business, but just like as an individual, if one wants to build their brand and like as an individual, like represent themselves. So I think, uh, you know, I have personally invested in about 25 odd companies out of which nine or 10 companies are in the influencer space in the creator economy. So I'm very, very gungo about the creator economy. So the way I look at it is, right, if you take one of the largest publishers in the country, let's say Times of India, 
Times of India has a circulation of about 3 million newspapers, the English language newspapers that they have, and about readership of 15 million, which is about each, they're assuming each newspaper is read by five people, which probably is not the case anymore because kids like you don't read newspapers anymore, right? So the fact of the matter is that today, one influencer has 100 million followers. Even the smaller influencers, like my daughter has 300,000 odd followers. So the fact of the matter is even the smaller influencers have precisable reach. So if Times of India makes three, 4,000 crores from the English language newspaper, post-COVID, whatever they make today, imagine that they have only reach of 3 million or 15 million at best. So imagine the influence of the creative economy with the reach that they have of reaching hundreds of millions of people in India. Imagine the value of that as an ecosystem. The top 1,000 influencers in India, how much more money would brands be paying to reach out to the reach that the top thousand influencers have in India? Right? So that's what the opportunity is. So the way I look at it is that today, I think building your own brand is very essential, right? As a company. So in sales, I was taught you first, you sell yourself, then you sell your company and then you sell your product. Product comes last. You can't sell yourself. Then it's very difficult to sell your product. So the way I look at it is that there are so many opportunities of building your brand, right? What you two are doing, again, is a way to build your own brand. What my daughter is doing with cutting and dancing and building her followers is a way to build her own brand. Same way, I'm building a course. I've written a book on happiness. I'm just launching it next month. I also created a 21 uh, video course on happiness, which hopefully I'll share with you too soon. It's called Happiness is a Muscle. So again, it's a way of building my own brand, right? So along with digital marketing, something which is different than what digital marketing would be, but you're building a brand on happiness, right? But having said that, I think very clearly one has to realize is that there are certain technologies that they're going to disrupt industries. One of those technologies is AI. And the other concept that everybody needs to understand is this concept of exponential technologies. So if I had to define AI, right? AI is just basically three things. It is machine learning, it is data, and it's algorithm. So the more data you have, the better machine learning you can do. And the more effective your algorithm is, the more cognitive that machine learning algorithm would be in terms of creating outcomes. So I think cognitive sciences and computers becoming smarter, when it reaches this stage of singularity, it is going to affect so many industries and so many jobs. So understanding what's happening in that space and how exponential technologies work is going to be very, very critical for every single person who's surviving in the world today. So what is exponential is when one becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, becomes 16, it's very difficult to predict what the next is going to be. So technologies like 3D printing, AR and VR, cryptocurrencies, blockchain, you talk about you know uh, the entire process of, if you take uh, what's happening in this space of even drones and other things like that, like drones are going to reduce the needs for having ports in the world. The ports are not needed because drones can carry the ship, the containers right from the ship into the truck, right? So some industries are going to disrupt so many different industries without having a direct connections. You would not have thought that ports and drones have a connection, right? So I think understanding these exponential technologies, understanding what crypto is, blockchain is, I think is very critical because they will come and suddenly disrupt the industry you're in and the job that you have. Uh, so let me give you one interesting example in a story, right? So I've invested in this company that makes MRI machines. 
So MRI machines are, these are open MRI machines uh, made, made in California. So I invested in this company. And uh, while it scans the MRI, it tells you what potential diseases you could have. Now, the problem is that's the job that what a radiologist does today. So if you fast forward 10 years, right, computers are going to do the job of a radiologist. The unfortunate part is there are so many people studying to be a radiologist today. So by the time they pass out, they will not have the job that a radiologist does today. A radiologist in US gets $500,000 a year. A lab technician gets $70,000 a year. So the education loans that they have to pay, they will find it difficult to pay the education loan with $70,000 a year. So imagine, right, today you are passing out and becoming something. And by the time you pass out, that job will not exist. Right? So it's very critical if we understand these things, then we can choose career paths that will remain relevant when we actually achieve that outcome of education that we want to do. Because education, after all, is a means to learn. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I agree with you completely because as you rightly said, big firms will be willing to pay so much more for even the smallest influencers and using technology can help you achieve a lot more. And it, it, it involves so much more than just what's on the surface level. So are there any challenges that people can come across when it comes to the digital age? And are there any disadvantages to this? So I think every, so, you know, there was this uh, sort of a tablet found it says that life is becoming very, very fast-paced. We don't have time for basic, you know, smell the roses kind of things. And, uh, you know, we need to do something about this. Our generation is just running around and not able to achieve things that they want to do, etc. And then the date on this tablet was 1880. So this tablet was 150 years old. So even 150 years old, right? The generation at that point in time believed that the life is too fast and it just slows it down. So... Honestly, I generally feel the biggest challenge is, right, understanding your mindset, understanding your mental makeup. The reason I wrote a book on happiness is, right, that if you take today, we can have everything and be unhappy. So happiness is a muscle. We need to work on it. Uh, social media creates a, <clears throat> a lot of dopamine, right? So you sleep in the night and you have 290,000 followers and you wake up in the morning, you have 300,000 followers. There is a huge dopamine rush and then you don't sleep because you're adding followers every, every minute, right? And then what happens is if something like TikTok gets banned or something like that happens, I can imagine what kind of depression the Gen Z can go through because they've lost one thing what they existed for, right? And I see that very personally with my daughter, right? And I'm, I'm almost scared the amount of money she makes today. Uh, would she remain capable of doing a nine to five job ever if the need arises, right? I hopefully the need doesn't arise, but if it does arise, then how capable would you be to do this? So I think the challenge is that taking time out and understanding your mental mindset, uh, focusing on happiness, right? So I generally believe, and the more research I've read is that happiness brings you success. Success does not bring you happiness. So I think the biggest downside of technology is that we have just become too busy for actually no reason at all. I actually take out a lot of downtime. I make sure that my focus is that I want to be happier every minute, every hour for the rest of my life. And if at some times there is a conflict with money where I'm going to make more money, but it's going to make me less happy. I have actually taken decisions where I've chosen happiness over money. So I feel that technology can achieve a lot for us. 
but I think taking the time out for ourselves, whether I went for an 11-day trip to Vipassana for meditation or whether next week I'm going to the Everest base camp, six days of technology and again, it's a luxury base camp, but <laughs> so overall, we could reach the base camp. I, last year, I went, two years back, I went to the Arctic Circle with 85 people in 40 countries. Again, for 11 days, 10 days, we had very intermittent uh, internet access. So taking time out, outside of technology and pursuing things, I think is important. But the biggest challenge I think is that it's very difficult. So I don't know if you guys have heard this Simon Sinek talk where he talks about the instant gratification generation, which is guys like you, where everything is instant. The problem is that when you look at everything instant, whether you order something on Amazon, you want to watch Netflix, you want to binge on something, you can do it immediately, right? But if you take some things like building a career, building a good relationship, a marriage, you know, raising children, these things are not instant, right? They take 20 years, 10 years, 15 years, right? So it's very difficult for understanding how this to be done. Because if your career doesn't grow in the next two years, you're working in a company, you a lot of people could feel frustrated. It has been two years and, you know, I've not become CEO as yet. But it doesn't take two years to become a CEO, it sometimes take 15. So how do you actually adopt this thing that there are certain things that are going to take time. There are certain things that are going to happen tomorrow. So one analogy I give is that sometimes what happens is that you're sitting in a train and you're going to the destination which is 10 years away. Let's say the train makes an unscheduled stop uh, and stops over at some place for two hours. Now, the best way to reach the destination is still sitting in that train. Because if you come out of the train and walk around and then the train goes away, then reaching a destination is going to take you a lot more time. So, so many times what happens is that we need to have this lighthouse that 20 years down the line, this is where we want to be. We're sitting in the right train. There may be unscheduled stops. It may not happen at the speed that you want it to happen, but it's going to get there. So as long as you keep on doing the things you're doing with a 20-year objective in mind, then you will reach there, right? So this is something which hopefully Gen Z understands and does it. So they, they don't feel disappointed every few months, every few years. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned that you were a TEDx speaker and you are in the midst of publishing a book and we would love to know more about this. So could you please elaborate on that? So when I spoke in TED also, I spoke on this topic called um, Money Does Buy You Happiness. So, you know, you know, I grew up middle class and uh, when I sold my company, made some money, and then I started reading stuff and everybody said, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness. I said, listen, I've spent half my life in trying to make money. And now you tell me it's not going to buy happiness. This is ridiculous. Like, so I wrote a, you know, a sort of a blog post. And then I created a video which said like money does buy you happiness. You have to hack it, right? So see, research has shown that if you are making less than $75,000, about 50 lakh rupees a year, then money does buy you happiness. That means if you are, let's say, making $30,000 a year and you start making $60,000 a year, you actually will increase your happiness almost double. So there's a direct correlation happiness and money till the time you reach $75,000. When $75 becomes $150, then your happiness will increase 20%. If $150 becomes $300, your happiness will increase 10%. If $5 million becomes $10 million, your happiness will increase 2%. Because there aren't too many things... You know, there is a movie called Entrapment, 
Sean Connery tells Catherine Zeta Jones that what can you buy with seven billion dollars that you can't buy with four billion dollars, right? So the fact of the matter is, once you make enough, then there is no additional money, additional joy that you get for money. So what I've done is my book is that I've taken all these topics like money, trust, learnability, tribes, and I've given my philosophy of how do you hack these to become happier. So there are certain things that you need to do to become happier, which are actions. So actions are universal for everybody. The actions are things like sleep adequately, exercise, meditate, be generous, grateful. So these are things which are universal. If 100 million people exercise, they'll be happier than 100 million people who don't exercise. But when you talk about trust, it's an individual belief. Like I trust everyone, and that process makes me happier. But some people may not trust everyone, and that process may make them happier. So that's that's something which is all the beliefs are individual. So what I've done with my book is, so I've built up this set of actions. I've built up set up of beliefs, and I said that if you can work on your actions and belief every day, like a muscle, because you don't build muscle by going to the gym one day or going to the uh, eating healthy one day. You need to work on it every day for months and years before you build muscle. Mm-hmm. Same way, if you can work on your actions and beliefs every day, where you adopt empowering beliefs and lim- and sort of reject limiting beliefs. Your muscle will go up. So if you are seventy or hundred on the happiness baseline, you'll become seventy-one. The benefit of that is when it goes up and down, you'll come back to seventy-one. So if your goal is to reach hundred, right, that's nirvana of happiness, you will be happy all the time. Then let's say, God forbid, you break your leg, right, or you have a fracture. Then yes, of course, your hundred will become eighty-five or ninety. But after a few months, you'll back, you'll be back to hundred because hundred is your baseline. So the goal is how do you become happier, not happy, right? I can't make anybody happy, but I can make them happier. If they follow these actions, follow these beliefs, they can become happier. And I can cover probably one uh, of these beliefs, which will be actually useful for your audience. So I have this belief in the book where I call it learnability. So learnability is this process where you learn random things, have no outcome. In mind to learn them, so I, on an average, learn on two to two or three things every year. These are new things which have nothing to do with my career, which have nothing to do with the outcome I desire. So currently, I'm learning Urdu, I'm learning mentalism, I'm learning stand-up comedy. So if you take, there is no outcome that I desire from it, right? But what happens is when I'm learning stand-up comedy, it makes me a better speaker. I see humor in life everywhere. I laugh a lot more than earlier. Right, so that's the benefit I'm getting out of it. I'm realizing the benefit now. If I look at mentalism, if I guess someone's password, that person never forgets me. And in sales, you know, uh, recall is very very useful, right? Because if people remember you, then when they have work, they'll remember you, and you end up doing business with them. So again, if you take things like Urdu, I wrote a share, and based on that share, I was able to, you know, sort of choose investors. and when i was building my company i was very clear what what values and what things i stand for i wanted to find investors who had the same value so i wrote a share with me i shared with you i said zindagi bhar sach ke raste pe chalte rahe sanjeet ki aapke ek jhoot ne le aaya humko aakhri moment pe so i let a life of integrity but one single inadvertent lie by you we are now on dead end right so even though i've led a life of integrity but if somebody who i have a relation with who is my investor who is my employee who is my team member ends up doing something which is unethical i could land up in trouble along with him 
So when I'm choosing my partners, right, I have to be very careful. So one of the investors that I have who was the who wrote the first check for my company, I can promise you, Akshita, if somebody gives him hundred million dollars and says that just lie once, just lie once, right, he will say no to the hundred million dollars. He won't lie. So that's the kind of integrity that he has, and. I know that that's the kind of investor I would want in my company because he would never force me to do something which is unethical to make a little bit more money, right? So you choose an investor based on Urdu class you're doing, right? So I'm learning chess right now. I used to play chess in college. I was the captain for Sydney. I left chess, but now I'm learning chess again with a friend of mine. So the other thing when you learn these things, you learn it with somebody, <laughs> then you become closer to different sets of friends, people you want to spend time with. Like I learn a lot of things with my daughter. When doing disruptive strategy of Harvard with her mentalism, I learned with her. So, a lot of these things you become closer because you're learning things together. So, this is one part of my book, which is learnability. But similarly, I have uh, beliefs on money, on trust, on tribes, on karma, and so many other beliefs. And I've also interviewed tens of people and got their beliefs sort of expressed in the book. What is their belief about money? What is their belief about learnability or trust, etc. So it's launching next month, but I have a 21 video course that I'll send you a link. Have a look at it. Um, anyway, I think Kushi will definitely get it because I'm going to send the book across to Vikas and Jyoti. So <laughs> I'll send one copy for you also, Kushi. Okay. And one for Kushi also. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think I'm also so intrigued with the idea of learnability, just learning something random and new every day can have such a great impact on your life and i can't wait to read your book um lastly we always end the podcast with an, a question that all of us will answer so we came across the fact that you're also a national level table tennis player and own the shaze challengers team so our question is if there was any other sport that you could play or you want to learn apart from table tennis what would it be so i actually play a lot of sports i've always been in sports so I used to be the captain for chess in Sydney. So chess is another sport that I really, really fascinated about. I used to play tennis for Sydney. So again, I've been playing tennis. Right? Uh, I love playing cricket, but with rubber and tennis balls, not with season balls. <laughs> so, so cricket is one of my sports. But yeah, but I'm. I think one of the things that I love more than all the other things that I mentioned is actually paragliding. So I'm a paragliding pilot and. Uh, I'm planning to learn something called paramotoring, where you can actually have a motor kind of a fan and you could take off from the ground. But paragliding is something which, if you consider it a sport, it's one of the most fascinating sports that I've come across because it makes you feel one with God. When you're flying, there is no motor, there is no sound. You're just with the, um, with the sound of the air and you're, it's a beautiful feeling. So I've been wanting to fly since I was a child. I still remember... Uh, there used to be this ad of a Novino battery where this kid is sitting on top of the battery and the, the battery is flying into the sky. And uh, as a four-year-old, five-year-old, I still remember having this thought that if I take this battery and jump out of the window, I could fly. Luckily, I didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> So I've been wanting to fly since I was a child and paragliding allows me to, to come as close to natural free flight that one can have. Um, I think that's about it, Mr. Bhargava. Thank you for sparing your time to talk about a crucial topic that is ever-changing and will play a really dominant role in our lives. Awesome, yeah.
thanks kushi thanks akshita pleasure being here um and um, love to talk about more about happiness in my book once it gets launched um we also had one more request if you could just share your um social media handle or your email id so our viewers can reach out to you if they would like to I'll, i'll i'll give you my twitter id as well as the instagram id so at least social media handles i can share free okay um yeah. thank everyone who's listening and stay tuned on the sunday after next for more